Welcome to another edition of Return to the Word Radio with Bible teacher Mark Fontecchio. Advancing the message of God's amazing grace through the teaching of God's Word. And now with today's message, here is our teacher. There's a great little story that comes out of the Civil War of a man named Peter Apple of Indiana. He joined the 11th Regiment. He took part in the attempt to storm the enemy at Vicksburg. But the rebel fire was so destructive that the Union forces had to withdraw. Peter Apple didn't see the Union lines moving backwards, so he kept going ahead. He charged right across no man's land and into the enemy territory. Then he went down a ditch where the enemy soldiers were lined up one by the other. He grabbed one of them, an enemy soldier. He grabbed him by the nape of his neck. Then he drug the man out and started back towards his own front line. The Confederate soldiers took aim and started to shoot. But since their own man was being dragged right behind Peter Apples, they couldn't fire. Every time they thought they had the shot, their own man would get in the way. Peter just continued on dragging this man. He took him back across no man's land in the middle. And finally, he got him back to his own side. He dropped the man at the feet of his superior officer. And the officer looked at him, took a deep breath, and said, Where in the world did you get him? Peter's answer was, I got him over there in the ditch. There's plenty of them over there. And all of you could have had one, if you wanted one. Well, Peter Apple reminds us of the response of Jesus in John 4. To the disciples, who had just come back from the city of Sychar, take a look with me at this text. John 4, we start with verse 27. And at this point, his disciples came, and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, What do you seek, or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. And in the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to finish his work. Do you not say, There are still four months, and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look. At the fields, for they are already white for the harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. If you have ever found yourself witnessing to someone 
and then someone else comes along and interrupts, the Lord Jesus can relate. That's a part of the beauty of the Gospels. In each story, we see how Jesus himself interacted, and we can take those principles and we can walk together on this journey of faith. Jesus dealt with the rich man, the highly educated. We saw how he dealt with Nicodemus. Then he spoke with the woman at the well, the despised woman of her day. And we're going to find ourselves in situations close to this. Instead of the woman at the well, instead of the Samaritans, this could have been the homosexual, the drug addict, the drunk, the person cheating on their spouse, the man struggling with pornography. The individual sins may be different in the lives of the people we encounter, but the path forward in Christ is the same. Notice verse 27 again. And at this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? The conversation at Jacob's well was interrupted because the disciples had returned from Sychar. Verse 8 told us that they had gone there to purchase food. And right when Jesus proclaimed, I who speak to you am me, then the disciples returned. Notice the immediate prejudice on the part of his disciples. For a rabbi to talk with a woman was considered to be a waste of time. It would be better for the rabbi to spend his time studying the Torah than talking with a woman. Some rabbis actually went so far as to suggest that to teach their daughters knowledge of the Torah was as bad as selling them into prostitution. The disciples may have even passed this woman on their way into town without even giving her another thought. The disciples could not imagine what Jesus was doing, talking with this Samaritan woman. It was beneath him. They had questions, didn't they? But they didn't have the courage to ask them, what do you seek? Jesus, what do you need? Why are you talking with her? The disciples were starting to learn that Jesus had a good reason for everything he did. But at the center of this all, we start to recognize that what we see is the heart of the Lord for the lost, for the poor, for the men and women wrestling with sin. He came to manifest his love and grace to them. He sought them out to reveal to them the very grace of God. Be willing to break tradition. Jesus approached her, even though this went against tradition. The risk was great, but he opened himself up to her. He asked her for water. This was his life's teaching. God became a man. Follow the storyline, starting in verse 28. The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all the things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. There are now two different storylines taking place in our passage. The Samaritan woman meeting with the men of her city, and then we have the disciples still coming to terms with what was happening. Throughout the entire time of chapter 4, this woman did not understand the message of Christ, but now she gets it. She even left her water pot at the well. She wasn't looking for water anymore because she had found something greater. She had found the Messiah. She went to the men of the town, the leaders. It could be that her story may have also been their story. If any of the men had been involved with this woman, they would be very interested when she tells them, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. 
She recognized her past was sinful. The question she asked, could this be the Christ? She was excited. But did she still doubt? I'm not so sure. Listen, this was a woman with a troubled past. She had already testified Jesus knew her past. But who was she to tell the leading men of town that the Messiah had come? At first, she saw him as a Jew, then as a prophet. Now she saw him as the Christ. John records, then they went out of the city and came to him. The men of the village needed to see this man for themselves. She had left them with a powerful witness for Christ. In the meantime, verse 31 tells us, his disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Honest concern at this point, The disciples wanted to see Jesus eat. They had traveled a long way that morning. He should have been hungry. But now look at who it was that failed to understand. What food? Did anyone bring him anything to eat? They had gone to town to find food that Jews would eat. And now Jesus testifies, I have food to eat of which you do not know. You can see the point of confusion. Someone must have brought him food. The Lord made it clear to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Turn back, if you would, to the book of Deuteronomy, heading to Deuteronomy chapter 8. And I want us to back up in this text and start with verse 1 to get the full understanding of what is going on in this passage. Deuteronomy 8, and we'll start with verse 1. Every commandment which I command to you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. Notice this next part. This is part of the purpose of the wilderness wanderings for the men and women of Israel. That he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Here's the point. In the desert, they could not produce their own food. They had to depend on God for their food. When Moses reminded them that they did not live on bread alone, he was telling them that even their food came by the word of God. They had manna because it came by God's command. It was not the bread that kept them alive. It was the command. It was the word of God that kept them alive. So let's skip ahead. Skip ahead with me to the gospel of Matthew, heading to Matthew chapter four. And the backdrop is that Satan was trying to tempt Jesus. Head to verse one of Matthew four. Starting with verse one, we read, then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. Notice the answer from Christ. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. 
Now, Christ was referring to the passage that we just looked at back in Deuteronomy 8. You see, Jesus knew that it was not God the Father's decree that those stones would be his food. Jesus knew that his Father would provide food without him needing to work a miracle. The will of the Father was for Jesus to be hungry in the desert. The will of the Father was that he would provide for the hunger of Jesus. And one of the lessons from this passage is that it is better to obey the will of God. It is better to obey God's word than it is to satisfy our human desires. This, this is the same exact point that Christ is making to his disciples back in John 4. Head back there again. Notice again this statement. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. You see, too often the body of Christ is focused on our physical needs while we neglect the will of the Lord in our lives. Sometimes a little bit of hunger, sometimes a little bit of adversity can be a good thing. We don't know if Jesus got that drink of water from the well. He might have still been thirsty. I'm sure that he was probably physically hungry. But the Lord Jesus, God the Son, was focused on the will of the Father to finish his work. This was his constant focus. This should be our constant focus. His greater concern was a love for the people that need to be rescued from sin. Christ was hungry to do the Father's will in this world. This was the reason that Jesus came into the world, to do the will of the Father. And he would not return to heaven until he was finished. To finish his work, it means to accomplish, to bring to a perfect end. The satisfaction that it brought Christ to reveal himself, to reveal his message of redemption to the woman at the well was more than any meal could ever give him. The harvest before him was food for Jesus. He was thriving on this food. It nourished him because it is God's will to bring in the harvest. Obedience to God and his will brings contentment and peace. This was the perfect opportunity for Jesus to teach the disciples about their mission. Take a look at what he tells them, starting with verse 35. Do you not say, there are still four months, and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for the harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. By his own admission, D.L. Moody made a mistake on the 8th of October in the year of 1871. It was a mistake he determined to never repeat again. He'd been preaching in the city of Chicago that night. They had the largest crowd yet. And his message was, quote, What will you do then with Jesus, who is called the Christ? It was based on Matthew 27, 22. By the end of the service, Moody was tired. So he concluded his message with a presentation of the gospel. And then he said the following statement. Now I give you a week to think that over. And when we come together again, you will have an opportunity to respond. Ira Sankey then sang the closing hymn, which included the lines, Today the Savior calls, for refuge fly. The storm of justice falls, and death 
is nigh. But before the final note, the music was drowned out by clanging bells and the wailing of sirens. Screaming through the streets, the Great Chicago Fire had begun, and in the aftermath, hundreds were dead, over a hundred thousand were homeless, and without a doubt, some who heard Moody's message had died in that fire. With great remorse, he once said, Now, whenever I preach, I press for a definite decision. I would rather lose my right hand than give people even a day to decide for Christ, because I don't know if I'll ever see them again. Sense the urgency, both here in the text and in your own life. The harvest had come. A lot of debate goes into this statement in verse 35. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Some will tell you that this points to the time of the year it was when Christ made this statement, that it was four months until the harvest. But listen, this is simple. This was the common understanding for the people in that day, referring to the time between planting and the earliest point of the harvest, that it took four months from planting to the time you'd begin to harvest. And I think the wording of the first part of verse 35 supports this. Do you not say? Meaning, isn't this the common understanding in the land? But notice how the Lord builds off this with the second part of the verse. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for the harvest. The time of waiting was over. The harvest had come. Skip down to verse 37 for just a second. This becomes important. Verse 37 reads, For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. One sows and another reaps. It was another common expression in that day. It was used in the Old Testament to refer to the time when God would punish the Hebrew people, taking them out of their land. In Micah 6, the prophet warned that the people would eat but not be satisfied. They would be hungry, and he warned that the people would sow but not reap. It was doing the work, but not being able to reap the benefits of the labor. Again, listen to Leviticus 26, verse 16. And you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. Deuteronomy 28, 30. You shall build a house, but you shall not dwell in it. You shall plant a vineyard, but you shall not gather its grapes. Even in the book of Job, we read this in Job 31, verse 8, where it reads, Then let me sow and another eat. Yes, let my harvest be rooted out. That's how this was understood, being judged, being punished, and not being able to reap what you sowed. But notice what Jesus did. He flipped the expression. Instead of dividing the man who plants and the man who reaps, Jesus unites them. Both are taking part in the work of God. Both can rejoice in their labor for the Lord. That's the point of verse 36 where Jesus testified, and he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. Here was the message from Jesus to the disciples. You think that a certain gap in time must go by between sowing the seed and the harvest. But I'm telling you that I have just sown the seed and the harvest is already taking place. The disciples needed to understand that the harvest had already begun. Jesus himself was engaged in the harvest. This was part of the work that the Father gave him to do. 
God the Son knew what was about to take place with the Samaritan people. He knew that the men of the city were coming out to meet him. The sovereign Son of God knew what was about to unfold. And this is why he said to the disciples in verse 35, Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for the harvest. These people, typically dressed in white, and the expression white for the harvest, in other words, ripe for the harvest, the people of the city coming out to him look like a field ready for harvest. They look like white heads on the stalks at harvest time. The Lord did not want the disciples to ever forget that the success we have in reaping typically depends on the work of those who have gone before. Paul spoke to this because this is an issue that the church of Corinth struggled with. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul taught, For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. God is the one who will give the increase, but notice the mention of wages in verse 36 here in John. The workers receive wages, eternal rewards for the work done for the master. The one who sows the seed of the gospel will rejoice with the one who reaps the harvest of leading a person to new life in Christ at the judgment seat of Christ. So often, the one who shares the gospel is some unknown Christian who plants the seed, waters it with prayers, sometimes with tears, and yet they never see the harvest. Look forward to the judgment seat of Christ when the fruit of eternal life will be seen. Take a look at our last four verses, starting with verse 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with him. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. And then they said to the woman, Now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. The Apostle John now takes us back to the Samaritans. And what I think is so interesting in this last part of the text is that verse 39 clearly testifies some believed because of the woman's testimony, but others didn't. Verse 41 teaches, and many more believed because of his own word. And as I think about this for us, we really have the two different aspects of witnessing, giving the lost our testimony and giving the lost the words of Christ from Scripture. The fact that we read in verse 40 that the Samaritans wanted Jesus to stay with them gives us some indication that even at this early point, they suspected that he truly was from God, that he could have been the Messiah. But after Jesus stayed with them for two days, many more believed because they heard his word. I think this statement in verse 42, where the people of the city said to the woman, now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him 
and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. I don't think this was a put down at all. I think they were just confirming that what she had said to them was true. They had heard for themselves and came to the conclusion that what she had testified of Jesus was absolutely true. Think with me about the last part of verse 42. Here we have these Samaritans who normally hated the Jews, but yet they make this statement. We know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Jesus is the Savior of both the Jews and Samaritans, of both the Jews and Gentiles living throughout the entire world. These Samaritans understood all the people of the world are the focus of God's love in Jesus Christ. They knew this. They understood this because Jesus himself broke down the barriers of men. This was the hated Samaritans, but he stayed in their homes and he ate their food. He demonstrated great love towards them and they listened to his word. The conversation started at the well and at first the focus was on what mountain to worship on, but now the focus was on the Messiah and his offer of eternal redemption. The Jews had asked for signs. The Samaritans asked for none. They were hungry, hungry for the truth, hungry to be at peace with God. And their faith in Christ took them there. I want to close our time by telling you a story about a boy named Billy. Billy had gone to a camp for junior high boys. This was one of those camps that was supposed to be Christian, but most of the kids that went had little to do with Christ. Young Billy had a tough time because even though he was so young, Billy had multiple sclerosis. Because of this, his speech slurred. And when he walked, it was with great difficulty and a jerking motion. It didn't take long at this camp for the other boys to begin making fun of Billy. They teased him day and night. And when Billy walked, they would follow behind him, imitating and over-exaggerating his movements. They would imitate his voice right to his face. How you doing, ba 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 Billy? But the worst part was that one morning they all volunteered him to speak at chapel. They knew he had a tough time speaking, but they thought it would be funny. When the time came, it took Billy several minutes to get down to the front. The sound of kids laughing was heard all around. And once Billy got up there, it took him a little while, but he was finally able to get out the words, Jesus loves me and I love Jesus. The room grew completely silent. One by one, the hearts of these boys grew convicted because this simple little statement, Jesus loves me and I love Jesus. This was the spark. This was the testimony that caused the other boys to actually listen to and respond to the gospel of Christ. The message is God can use anyone who is faithful to him. Isn't this the lesson? from the woman at the well. Here she was, a social outcast, and yet the Lord used her to bring countless people from this village to redemption in Christ Jesus. It was her testimony, the testimony of an outcast, that caused these people to seek the Lord. Her past was sinful. She had no seminary training. She knew little theology. 
she probably couldn't explain why Jesus must be the Messiah. She simply witnessed, she reported, of her encounter with Christ. We need more people like this. We need this to become more of a focus. Because if the fields were ripe for the harvest 2,000 years ago, how much more is our witness needed now? God will give the increase. But it all starts with a conversation. It all starts by telling others of the love and the grace of God. Because we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as the Savior of the world. you find this broadcast helpful to your faith, please remember that we are listener-supported. We don't spend a lot of time asking for money, but we do depend on your prayers and your support to cover our costs. We are a missions team dedicated to reaching people with the gospel of Christ and the teaching of the Word of God. Most of our expenses, we cover ourselves, and it limits us. It limits what we can do for the work of Christ. So when people give, it helps to cover the expense of airtime for Christian radio stations, the expense for the online platforms, and even the equipment we have to use to broadcast. We're looking for partners who would like to help us. Even smaller monthly donations help us to tell others of God's amazing grace. And you can find out more on returntotheword.com. Return to the Word Ministries is committed to teaching the full counsel of God's Word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more about our ministry, please visit returntotheword.com. Return to the Word is a faith ministry. This means we freely distribute the teaching of the Word of God over the air and online. We do this without charge. If you feel led to support the ministry with a donation to help cover these costs, you may do so on our website, returntotheword.com, or by mailing a donation to Return to the Word, P.O. Box 879-259, Wasilla, Alaska, 99687. Thanks for listening, and we pray that the Word of God will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Join us next time for another edition of Return to the Word.